So I hope everyone had a great Christmas. With Christmas, though, comes a new year. So every year as we celebrate Christmas and we move in past that and we move into a new year. And as we uh, begin another year, I would like us to think about uh, the following question. What or who are we living for? As you think think over this past year, what or who have you lived for? What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your time thinking and processing? What is it that motivates you each day? What brings you happiness and joy? Is it a person? Are you living for a spouse, a parent, a child, a relative, a friend, a co-worker? Or maybe it's a thing. Maybe you're living for a job, entertainment, sports, vacation, or a trip. Some material item like your house or your car. Maybe you're living for retirement or some status, money. The list could go on and on. We're all living for something. And as I processed and thought about this this week and and thought about this past year, I I have to say I, I was challenged by this and I was convicted by this. I don't know that I was necessarily living for the right things over this past year. But I want to challenge us all as we think about this new year, what or who are we going to live for in this new year? Well, the passage that we're going to look at today, we will see that, that Paul knew who he was living for and what he was living for. And we should strive for the, live for the same thing. So join me as we look at Philippians 1, verses 19 to 26. You can turn to it in your, um, in your Bible or it's up on the screen. But Philippians 1, verses 19 to 26. For I know that through your prayers, in the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be put ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So can we say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We must live for Christ. That's who and what we should live for. Well, this passage gives several reasons why we should live for Christ, and I'd like to look at those this morning. The first reason is found in verse 19. It says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Well, the first reason we should... Why we should live for Christ is Christ is our deliverer. Christ has delivered us in two ways. He has first delivered us from sin and death. That moment we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. At the moment of our salvation, he has delivered us. But he doesn't just deliver us at that moment from death and sin. We have a continual deliverance that he gives us on a daily basis. He delivers us from ongoing afflictions, temptations, trials, sins, our enemies. And for Paul in this passage, in this situation, he's in prison. And he's seeking deliverance from that imprisonment. 
And he's very confident that he will be delivered. Well, how can we have this confidence that he has that we will be delivered like he will be delivered or was delivered? Well, the first reason that Paul was confident and we can be confident is because the word of God has promised it. Look at Philipp, or, or Psalms 18, verses 48. It says, God, who delivered me from my enemies, yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. So David's saying he's been delivered. And also in Psalm 37, 40, the Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So Paul knew the scriptures. He was a scholar of the scriptures of the Old Testament. And he knew that the word of God had promised that he would deliver. And he had seen it in the lives of people. And I'm sure as he was thinking about this deliverance, he was thinking about Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as I call the three amigos. The three amigos were told that they needed to bow before this statue that that Nebuchadnezzar had made, this golden statue of himself. But they refused to bow. And so Nebuchadnezzar gave them multiple chances to bow before the statue, but they continued to refuse, and they stood their ground because they knew they only served one God, the one and true living God. So Nebuchadnezzar said that he was going to throw them into the fiery furnace. And their response is found in Daniel 3.17. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They had confidence that they would be delivered. And we know how that turned out. God met them where they were at. Jesus came and walked with them in the fiery furnace, and they were delivered from it. And it caused Nebuchadnezzar to turn and realize that that their God was the one and true God. Well, Paul knew this. He knew all these things. He was a scholar. And so he had confidence from God's word that they would be delivered. Well, we even have more confidence because we have the New Testament as well. And just think about Paul and Silas, how they were delivered from the Philippian jail. The, some of the people that were, he was writing to in Philippians are the people that were holding him captive. Because we know the Philippian jailer came to Christ. And so he had confidence And we can have confidence from the Old Testament and New Testament that God is our deliverer and that he will deliver us from the trials, the temptations, the sins, the enemies, the things that are entrapping us. But not only has it been promised to us, but also we can have confidence because prayer leads to it. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 10 through 11. It says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us also. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. So he's challenging the Corinthians to be praying for his deliverance. And if you look back at verse 19, that's what he says here as well to the Philippians. For I know that through your prayers that it will turn out for my deliverance. So prayer leads to deliverance. As I was thinking about this, I thought about Peter and how he was delivered. In Acts 12, verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So as Peter was in prison, the fellow believers were praying that he would be delivered. And if you remember how the story goes, the angel came to him 
and released his chains and walked him out of the prison. And he goes to the house where the people were praying. And he knocks on the door and the servant girl comes. And she doesn't let him in. She's so excited that Peter's there. She goes back and tells the people that are praying that Peter's there. And they're like, no, you're imagining this. It's not really Peter. It's just his spirit. But Peter continues to knock and eventually they let him in and they rejoice that God had answered their prayer and that he was delivered. So prayer leads to our deliverance. But it comes about by the power of the Spirit. Look at verse 19. It says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So the Spirit is the one that brings it about. God has promised it. We pray for it. But the Spirit brings it to fruition. And so, let me ask you this question. What do you need Christ to deliver you from? What trial, what temptation, what sin, what heart idol, what enemy do you have in your life right now that you need deliverance from? You've already received the deliverance of eternal life, the freedom from sin. But we have these ongoing things that go on in our lives, these trials and temptations and things. And we need deliverance from them. So whatever that is in your life today, I challenge you to trust God's word, to pray for God's help, and to allow the Spirit to work in you, that you might receive the deliverance that you're looking for. Because only in Christ can you find that deliverance. There's nothing else in this world that will provide that for you. So first, we should live for Christ because He's our deliverer. But second, we should live for Christ because He will be honored by our lives. Look at verse 20. Philippians 1.20, it says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's desire was to honor Christ with his life. And we know in Romans 1.16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he was not ashamed here either. We know in 1 Peter 4.16, it says, Yet if anyone suffers as, is, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So we should not be ashamed of Christ. And we should glorify Him and realize that when we do suffer, when those trials, those temptations, those things come about in our lives, when suffering happens, we can glorify Christ in our response to it, in the way we respond. And Paul's response here is is one of sacrifice. He's giving of his body. Look there again in in verse 20. He says, Now and always Christ will be honored in my body. In Romans 1.12, Paul said to the Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul was giving his life, his body, to Christ. He was giving as an act of worship to God. Well, are we willing to do the same? And Paul said here, now and always. It wasn't just at certain moments that he was giving his life. It was always. It was at that moment, but always. And if you look back at his life, once he became a believer, he did all for Christ. And he sacrificed all for Christ. 
And he, and he says here, in life or in death, he was willing to give his life for Christ. Well, we should follow Paul's example and honor Christ in our life and in our death. And as I thought about this this week, an individual came to my mind of who lived his life for Christ, and that was Billy Graham. I feel like Billy Graham gave his life to Christ, and he preached the good news of Jesus Christ to people all over the world for over 50 years. And his, his life ended in 2018. And um, I was reading in a CT magazine, Christianity Today magazine, that was tribute to Billy Graham this past week, just realizing all the things that he had done for Jesus Christ over the many years that he had of service. And so that's somebody in the modern day that, that gave his life to Christ and dedicated all to Christ. And his desire was to honor him with his life and with his death. And I believe Billy Graham did that. Up until the very end, he was living for Christ. So may I ask you this question? Is Christ being honored by your life? Are you living your life to honor and glorify him? Or are you living it for yourself? Are you seeking your own honor, your own praise? Or are you seeking the honor of our Savior, Jesus Christ? So we have to remember, we've been bought with a price. He gave his life for us, so we should give our lives for him. So the third reason why we find in this passage that we should live for Christ is found in verse 22. Look at verse 22. It says, For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. So the third reason we should live for Christ is Christ will produce fruit through us. If we're willing to live for Christ, he will produce fruit through us. And we see that here. Paul was saying that if I stay here, if I stay here on the earth, I am desiring to produce fruit. And that fruit's going to come by me ministering to you. How many gardeners do we have in here? Anybody garden? have a garden. We have a garden at our house. I don't claim to be a gardener. I let that to my wife. I'll kill anything that we plant. But my grandmother growing up was a a huge gardener and she's 97 today and she still has a greenhouse and garden at my parents' home. And, And so, you know, I've seen people garden my whole life. Well, anybody that gardens knows that you put a lot of work and toil into this. It's not easy. You know, you've got to prepare the ground, and then you plant the seed, or you plant the plant, and then you watch it grow. You have to water it and, and care for it, and sometimes fertilize or whatnot. But it's a lot of work. And after all that work, your hope is that you're going to get something from it. Right? You don't, you don't want to garden just to, to see the plant grow a little bit. You're hoping to, gra- to, to get some fruit or vegetable or see a nice flower on it, whatever it may be. But you want something from it. Well, like I just said earlier, Christ bought us with a price. And, and he's done the work for us and he's saved us. And now he wants to see us produce fruit. In John 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're in Christ, you should be producing fruit. And if you're a gardener, you want your produce to be good, right? You don't want something that's sour or no good. Your, your hope is that the fruit you're working to, to produce 
It's going to be good. It's going to taste good. You can eat it and enjoy it. Well, it does the same for the fruit that we produce. In Luke 6, 43 and 44, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from gravel bushes. So Christ desires that we'll produce good fruit. He's planted that seed in us. He has saved us. And his desire is that we'll produce good fruit. So you might be saying, what fruit am I supposed to be producing? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. What fruit should you be producing? Well, first, let's look at Galatians 5, to 23. It says, But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruit, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, first off, our attitudes should be of this. Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Is that your attitude? Is that what flows out of you? Are those fruits of the Spirit coming out of you? Well, if they are, they should lead to the next fruit, which is our actions, our deeds of righteousness. Just a few verses earlier in this passage that we were looking at in Philippians 1, verse 11, it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Jesus has produced his fruit in us and the fruits of the Spirit are in us. His Holy Spirit is working through us and that fruit should produce good deeds. It should be fruits of righteousness. That should come out of us. And if our our attitude is such of that we just read in, in Galatians 5, then we will do those things. We will have good deeds and good attitudes. Which should lead to the third fruit, which is reproducting, reproducing, Bring more people to Jesus Christ, leading others to Christ. Romans 1:13 says, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So Paul's desire was to go to the Romans and be there and minister alongside them and reach people in Rome for Christ, Jews and Gentiles. Well, if we're producing good fruit, if we have that good attitude found in Galatians 5, and then we're doing the good deeds found in Philippians 1, then we should be producing the fruit of new converts, people coming to Christ. And this is one of the things that we've been challenging you over the last year, to have God conversations. Well, that's how we we produce good fruit, is through these conversations. Are you having God conversations? Our hope as leadership is that you are. And, and many of you have recorded them, and, and I know others that haven't recorded them, but have told me that they've had them. And that's great. All that matters is that you're doing it. You don't have to record it. Just do it. Share this good news with others. Think about it. If you had the cure to cancer, would you keep it to yourself? Would you hide it in your back pocket and say, well, I'm going to save this for the day that I get cancer? I hope not. I hope that you would be giving to everybody that you know that has cancer. Well, you have the hope of Jesus Christ. You have the greatest hope there is. Are you sharing that hope with others? Are you telling them about Jesus and how he can redeem them and save them just like he saved you? I hope so. I hope that you are, that you're having God conversations. So is, is Christ producing fruit through you? I think that's a question we all have to ask ourselves. And is it good fruit? Is it good fruit? 
So the fourth way, the first reason, the fourth reason why we should live for Christ is that Christ will minister to others through us. So if you're producing good fruit, you're going to be ministering to others, and he's going to be able to minister through you. Look at verses 23 to 25. Philippians 1, 23 to 25. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul's in this dilemma right now, in this, in this passage, between going and being with Christ, which he says is far better, and I think we'd all agree with that, seeing our Lord face to face, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, being with Jesus is far better. But he's, he's between that and staying in order to help the people, the Philippian believers and other believers. He's hard-pressed between these two things. But he knows that he's got to stay to help these believers grow in their relationship with Christ and, and see the joy of knowing him. And so, you know, he says that it's better for him to stay. It's better for him to be here and to minister to them. As I, I, I processed and thought through this this week, I know there's many people that has, have ministered to me over the years. But there was one that, that specifically came to mind. It was my high school principal. His name was Mr. Dawson. And to be honest with you, I didn't like him much when I was in high school. I couldn't stand him, to be honest with you. And the reason I couldn't stand him is because I was always getting in trouble and I was always having to go see him. And I was always seemed like he was out to get me. And, in fact, I visited him so often, I actually had a signed seat in his office, which is pretty bad. But he kept ministering to me, and he kept loving on me, despite my dislike for him. And I graduated, and in my freshman year of college, God got a hold of my life, and he saved me. And he brought me to himself. But after I was saved, several months later, I was really wrestling with doubts and thoughts of, that, that were just really causing me distress. And so one day I was driving by the school and I felt led to go uh, stop by and, and see if Mr. Dawson was there and, and to talk with him. And, you know, it was after hours, so I was like, ah, he probably won't be there, but I'll just, I feel led to do this, so I'll stop. But sure enough, he was there. It was a divine appointment. And so I went into the school and, and we had a long conversation and he encouraged me and he prayed with me and he helped me through those, those doubts and those thoughts that I was having. And I don't even think he realizes how much that impact that had on my life, but it had a huge impact on me. And it was one person that ministered to me, that helped me get to the place where I am today, to be here in front of you sharing God's word. And there was many others. I can think of college professors and seminary professors, people that invested in me. Well, who do you need to be Mr. Dawson to? Who do you need to minister to? Who needs you to minister to them? And I've had the privilege over the 15 years that I've served here at this church to minister to many people. And what joy it is to see the young people that I had in youth ministry serving the Lord, being a part of this church, or serving the Lord overseas. I think of like a Haley Ott that's serving in Bolivia. And I'm not taking credit for that. That was a God. God worked in her life. But... It's awesome to see how God works through us and uses us. But we have to live for Christ in order for him to use us. To be used by him, we have to live for him. So, what steps are you going to take 
for Christ to minister through you. There are many ways to be involved here at this church or in our community. One way to get involved is our iServe. If you have our app, go to the homepage. There's a button right there. Or you can go to Crossroads, and there's, there's a form uh, that's called iServe. It gives you every ministry that we do here. And I know there are many ministries right now that could use some help. I challenge you to, to pray about and think about what you're passionate about. What, what will bring you joy to be a part of? Maybe you love babies. I know a nursery would love to have more helpers. So if you love babies, go help in the nursery. Maybe you have a heart for special needs. I know our special needs ministry needs more helpers. Help in that way. Maybe you love meeting new people and getting them connected to Cedar Crest. Our guest service connections ministry would love to have you. Whatever it is that you're passionate about, get involved in. Our Vision 2020, which is coming to an end in this new year, the statement that we have been committed to is everyone serving in the church, everyone serving in the world. So where are you going to serve in the church? Where are you going to serve in the world? Maybe the church doesn't have the ministry that you're passionate about, but there's somewhere out in the community that you can get involved. I think of two young guys that had a passion to do prison ministry. And we don't have a specific ministry to that right now. And so they went out and they found a prison and they've gotten involved and they're ministering to prisoners. What a great ministry. And that's what they're passionate about. And so I want to encourage them to go do that. Well, find that ministry that you're passionate about and be involved so that you can be a Mr. Dawson to somebody else and have an impact in their life like he had an impact in my life. Well, the final reason why we should live for Christ that we find in this passage and found verse, in verse 26. Look at verse 26. So that in me you may ha- have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So the, re- the, the last reason is Christ will be glorified because of us. If we live for Christ, he will be glorified because of us. Paul's desire was to come to these Philippian believers because he wanted them to glorify Christ. Everything Paul did was for, God, for Christ's glory. 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So whether you're preaching God's word like I am right now, or you're serving in the nursery, or you're serving a meal to somebody, or you're helping somebody get connected to Cedar Crest, whatever it may be, it's all for the glory of Christ. That's why we do this. It's for his glory. It's not for our own. It's not about us. It's about him. So is Christ being glorified by your life? It all starts with living for him. If you're not living for him, he can't be glorified by you. So let me challenge you to live for him. As we close this portion of our service, I want us to watch this short video about William Borden. He's a man that lived for Christ. William Borden, the heir to the multi-million dollar Borden Dairy Estate, 
graduated from high school, his gift was a trip around the world. Now, while your average 18-year-old is going to be living it up and enjoying the time of their life, Borden experienced a growing concern for the lost of the Middle East and Asia. He wrote home, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. In the back of his Bible, he wrote two words, no reserves. Enrolling at Yale University, Borden promptly began a student ministry. By the end of his freshman year, he had 150 freshmen meeting for weekly Bible study and prayer. By his senior year, 1,000 out of Yale's 1,300 students were involved in this ministry. In a personal journal entry, he defined the source of his spiritual strength by saying, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Beyond campus, Borden was often seen ministering to the downtrodden in New Haven. He loved the widows and the orphans and the disabled. To help men who were caught in the destructive lifestyle of alcoholism, he founded something called the Yale Hope Mission. One of his friends wrote that he, quote, might be often found in the lower parts of the city at night, on the street, or in some restaurant to which he had taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him, seeking to lead men to Christ. After graduation in the class of 1909, Borden declined numerous high-paying job offers because of this growing sense of a call to mission that was now specifically focused on Muslims in China. At that time, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreats. Borden went on to Princeton Seminary, and then after that, set sail for China. Now, he stopped in Egypt on the way for some Arabic studies, but while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within one month's time, the 25-year-old Borden was dead. I mean, just think about that. I'm 27, and at 25, his life was over. You know, was Borden's untimely death a waste? No, not in God's plan. Just prior to his death, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. Underneath no reserves and no retreats, he wrote the words, no regrets. So can you say with William Borden, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets? He lived his life, very short life, for Christ. Here's somebody that had everything. He was a millionaire, and he gave it all up. He said no reserves. And as he went off, he said no retreats. And as he died, he said no regrets. So can you say, with the Apostle Paul and with William, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? I hope that, that you can. And I hope that as you go into this new year, that will be your focus. Your desire will be to live for Christ. I know that we can be very distracted by everything in this world. We can get bogged down by family, by friends, by our jobs by the things that are going on. I've experienced it. But my challenge to you and to myself in this new year is, is a fresh start. Let's live for Christ in this new year and see what he's going to do through us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. It's by his death on the cross that we have salvation. 
He paid the price we couldn't pay. We thank you that we've been bought with that price. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to live for him. Fill us anew and afresh today with your spirit that we might live this new year for Christ. That we would live, that we might minister to others, that we might produce fruit, that that you might receive honor and glory from our lives. So Lord, may we live for you. Meet us where we're at and help us to do that, I pray. Give us what we need. In Christ's name, amen.